Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter seven tonight. Second Corinthians chapter seven. Continuing our series through the book of Second Corinthians. Paul's most personal letter, a letter about ministry. And of course, we know when we talk about ministry, we're talking about people. Someone once said, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) Ministry is people. And yet we understand that part of what makes ministry challenging for all of us is people. And so tonight, as we examine 2 Corinthians chapter 7, as Paul even sort of bears his soul once again and lays himself bare to all of us through this chapter tonight and and to the Corinthians, so many important things he's talking about here as far as relationships. You, You could entitle this chapter a model for friendship. You could entitle this chapter how to navigate relationships how Christians should relate to each other, take your pick. It's all about that. Because in this chapter, Paul is going to say uh, to us and is going to give us an example of how Christians, no matter how sticky something gets, no matter how bad a relationship is struggling, that Christians need to learn how to work things out and work through things rather than turning their backs on one another and walking away from relationships. And you see that here in Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul and the Corinthians really, their relationship has has been rocky at best. And yet, Paul's going to give them some just great insight into the heart of God, of how God wants to see Christians navigate our relationships with each other. And Paul's going to start out in chapter 7 by telling us really how we relate to each other and how we respond to each other as Christians really starts to depend on how we are relating and responding to God. And that's why beginning in chapter 7 verse 1, he says, Therefore... Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that could defile the body and the spirit. Let's go back to that first phrase. First of all, dear friends, beloved, Paul wanted the Corinthians and he wants all of us as Christians to know that we are dearly beloved. We are greatly loved by God. And one of the demonstrations that God greatly loves us is that he gave us promises. Claim those promises, children of God. Recite those promises that God has given. He's made pledges to us. He's professed himself in these promises in his word. And he wants his children to be familiar with those promises because those promises from God are really demonstrating how much he loves us. Now, Something very important, though, about the promises of God. There are some promises in the Bible that are unconditional. Meaning, God says, I will do this regardless of whether you do anything or not. And we have to make sure that when we read and study the Bible, when we come to an unconditional promise, we understand it in that context. Okay, this is a promise from God that no matter what I do or don't do, He's going to fulfill this. He's going to do this. There's other promises that God makes in the Bible that we need to distinguish that are conditional promises. In other words, where God says, 
If you do this, then I will do this. And we have to make sure, again, when we read and study the Bible, that we differentiate between conditional promises and unconditional promises. And we have here, at least in this context, a conditional promise. Where Paul's going to say, if we take this responsibility and do this as a Christian, then God will do this. And he's referring even back to the end of chapter 6 that we looked at last week where God said, come out and be separate. Be distinctive as a Christian. Don't be like the world. And if you do that, I will welcome you. I will bless you. I will benefit you. I will embrace you. And I will be your father. I will teach you. I will train you. I will guide you. But you've got to be willing to come out from among them and be separate from the world and be distinct. That's a conditional promise. God will not bless a Christian that's going to live in disobedience and disregard what God says and lives like the world. But God will bless a Christian and those promises then will be fulfilled to Christians who are willing to go, okay, God, you said you would do this, then I will do this. And I trust you that if I do this, then you're going to fulfill that promise. So that's why Paul then says to the Corinthians, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, If we believe those promises, if we believe God will welcome us at the end of chapter 6, verse 17, that he will favor us, that he will bless us, and that he will be a father to us, then let us cleanse ourselves from everything that could defile the body and the spirit. You see, cleansing is certainly something through the blood of Jesus Christ that happens the moment of salvation. But then there is sort of a cleansing that is our responsibility as Christians to cooperate with God throughout our Christian life. It's sort of illustrated when God, uh, through Jesus, washed the disciples' feet. If you remember that story in the Gospel of John, Peter, once he realized that Jesus was going to do that, that Peter said, well, why don't you wash all of me? And Jesus says, you don't need to have all of you washed, just your feet. And it's the idea that as a Christian, we don't need to be saved over again once we are saved. But we do because we get get contaminated by our own choices and our own sin, even after we're saved, and by the, the world and the flesh and the devil, that we do need to have our feet washed, if you will. And we need to cooperate with God in that cleansing. We're responsible to cleanse ourselves, if you will to consecrate and dedicate ourselves to God so that we stop being contaminated, if you will, or polluted by whatever is doing that in our life. To get away from it. To turn away from sin, as we talked about on Sunday in the book of 2 Timothy. And notice Paul says, the body and the spirit. Many times as Christians, we focus on the outer external things that are pretty obvious. In fact, we even see that in the Gospels where the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they had a much easier time admitting their external sins that were out there for everybody to see and coming to Christ and Christ welcoming them than the religious leaders of Israel did laying down yet their pride and admitting that they're defiled in spirit. It's much harder for us to admit the inner man things that need to be cleaned up that maybe no one else can see. 
but is just as damaging to our fellowship with God because obviously God can see the inner man. And we can hold pride in there and and we can hold hatred and greed and prejudice and we can hold all kinds of things in our spirit that will just as much defile us as the body but many times as Christians we focus on the externals rather than the internal and that's why Paul says we've got to be conscious to cleanse not only and purify ourselves not only in body but in spirit because many times it's the problem with the spirit that ends up fleshing itself out in the body anyway. And thus he goes on to say, accomplish holiness out of reverence for God. In other words, fleshing out progressively. It's a progress. It's a process. We'll never become totally holy. We will never become totally perfect. But as a growing Christian, we should continually flesh out progressively a distinctiveness in our life, a difference in our life that Jesus Christ is making. And we should be doing that out of respect and reverence for God, which is what Paul said. So here Paul is starting out this chapter on relationships by saying, are we responding to God properly? To his Holy Spirit, who is really the the one that convinces and convicts us of our sin. And then another way that in a sense we cleanse is through the Word of God. The Word of God can help keep us clean. And so in a sense, what the, the way we cooperate with God is God's already given us His Spirit. He's already given us His Word. And we, we respond to the Spirit's leading and prompting and conviction in our life. And we allow the Word of God to continually cleanse us inside out out of respect for God. And when we are responding to God that way, and and God and us are on the same page, and we are in fellowship with God, then we're going to be in a right place with our fellow believers. If we're not right with God, then it's going to also show up in our relationships. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so that's why then Paul goes on in verse 2 to make this link with what he's just said in verse 1. Make room for us. This is the second time Paul said this to the Corinthians. Because remember, they shut Paul down. They shut Paul out because they were listening to the false teachers who were turning them against Paul. All that Paul had done for them, they started to distance themselves from Paul. And Paul's saying... Make room for us. Give place to us. Leave space in your hearts for us. He says, when we were in Corinth, we wronged no one. The word wrong means to harm or hurt. We have ruined no one. The word ruin here means to damage spiritually or lead someone astray or into error. And we have exploited no one. We've taken advantage of no one. And let me say this, though. Even if he had, even if he had, They should have been willing to forgive and work through this relationship. Because notice what Paul says in verse 3. Here's the key to the whole chapter. He says, I do not say this to condemn you. The word condemn means to pass judgment against. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I'm not your judge. I'm saying what I'm saying because you are in our hearts. You are in our hearts. The phrase here means that the Corinthians, as he's already told them before, is at the very center of his passion and affection. He loves them dearly. 
And then here's the key to the entire chapter. Don't miss this, my brothers and sisters. He says, I do not say this to condemn you, for I told you before that you are in our hearts so that we die together and live together with you. Paul is saying to the Corinthians something that Christians need to desperately hear today. And that is that it is God's intent for Christians to live with each other in an intimate and unbreakable union. Christian, hear me. We are to live in an intimate, unbreakable union with each other. We are to die together. We are to live together. Can I get an amen? You that are listening to this on podcast, please hear this. We as the church need to hear this because there are too many Christians that are walking away from their brothers and sisters in Christ. They get upset with each other and instead of working through things, even when they're hard, they walk away. There's no such thing from God's perspective as disposable Christian relationships. We are to model with each other the way God is with us. And don't you and I thank God that God never walks away from our relationship no matter how bad it gets or how bad we are? God never walks away from us. And God is saying to His children, you do not walk away from your brothers and sisters in Christ. You live together and you die together and you learn to work things out, church. I'm tired of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ acting like our relationships with each other are disposable. That we can just throw them away and move on. Because I'm telling you, from God's perspective, you won't be able to move on. You're at some point going to have to resolve something or else you will never be in a right relationship with God until you get those relationships that you have walked away from right. You live together and you die together as Christians. And Paul is simply starting out here in this great chapter by saying, if we don't learn how to respond to God properly, then obviously we're going to miss how we should be responding to each other properly. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, I have loved you. I have always loved you. I'm sorry you don't love me very much right now, but I just want you to know that regardless of how you feel about me, I don't change the way I feel about you. You're my brother and sister in Christ. And I'm here to try to work things out if you're ever ready. Now here's where it starts to turn. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself. Paul had sent Titus to Corinth to find out firsthand where the Corinthians were. Because remember, this is before the days of cell phones and instant messaging and all that kind of stuff where you could instantaneously maybe find out more information. 
It was going to take a little time. So you can imagine even the faith of Paul here to go, I don't really know where they are, but Titus is going to let me know. And Titus comes back, and Titus gives Paul a really encouraging report and basically begins to tell Paul, Paul, their hearts are changing towards you. They're ready to work this relationship out, and they're ready to come back into a right relationship with you the way it should be. So notice what Paul says in verse 4. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride on your behalf. I'm filled with encouragement, comfort, refreshment. I'm overwhelmed with joy. Notice, in the midst of all suffering, Paul and his companions are going through intense pressure and suffering right now. But notice what Paul's teaching here. Our joy and refreshment in the Lord can be totally independent of the circumstances that we go through. That even though Paul was personally going through a really difficult time right now, it was almost like he didn't care about that. Because he was hearing how the Corinthians' hearts had changed and how this had been a long haul and a real struggle of a relationship that Paul cared very much about and wondered if the Corinthians really cared about him the way he cared about them and if things would ever on earth be what they should be. And so you can imagine how this lifted Paul up, no matter what he was going through. Because again, for Paul, it was all about relationships. It was all about his relationship with God, and it was all about his relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. That was always more important than anything else. And that's why then Paul said in verse 5, even when we came into Macedonia, our body had no rest at all. We were physically pressed beyond measure. We were troubled in every way. Literally, the word means pressed as grapes. Struggles from the outside, battles, fights, and fears from within. Paul is laying himself bare. And isn't it, I know this is going to sound strange, isn't it encouraging how much Paul struggled? I mean, because sometimes as Christians, we look at these Bible characters and go, boy, I bet they just... And, and one of the things about 2 Corinthians that it's good to study is to be reminded sometimes how tortured Paul was. Even though he was doing what God wanted him to do, it wasn't easy. That's why Paul needed to be as strong as he did. And I love the fact that Paul admitted, Paul admitted, he had fear. The fear didn't stop him from doing what he knew God wanted him to do. Because courage isn't the absence of fear, it's doing what we know we should do in spite of the fear. And Paul admitted he had fear inside of him. Anxiety. He had troubles outside and fears within. But notice what he says. These next two words, verse 6, but God. <laughs> Folks, I don't know what you're going through, but here's two words to always remember. But God. That's the difference in the equation for the Christian. See, the person without Christ can never say, but God. But for the Christian, no matter what's happening in our life, there's always God. And he's always the one that makes all the difference in the world. And that's exactly what Paul said here. He said, but God, who encourages the downhearted. First of all, God is the God of all encouragement. 
This is the Greek word parakaleo, used for the Holy Spirit's ministry. One who comes alongside to strengthen, to encourage, to refresh, to console, to comfort. That's what the word parakaleo means. Think of somebody coming alongside of you when you're having a really tough time and just putting their arm around you. Knowing that maybe the circumstance isn't going to change, but they're going to be there with you through it all. That's what God does. By the way, the word downhearted here means discouraged and beaten down. Maybe some of you here tonight, you're discouraged right now. You're beaten down. Know this. God wants to encourage you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to refresh you. He wants to comfort you. But notice how God does it. Notice what Paul says. God encourages the downhearted and He encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Don't miss what Paul's saying there. Most of the time, God will encourage us through other people. Can God encourage us any way He wants to? Yes. But God wants to use people to encourage people. If you study and read the Bible, most of the time God was reaching out to encourage someone, He used someone to do it. And that's part of the reason why we need to stay connected to each other. Because how can maybe you, sir, or ma'am, be encouraged by another brother or sister in Christ if you have no connection to the body? If you don't put yourself within a body where you can be encouraged and refreshed. If you isolate yourself or remove yourself from a place where God wants to use people to encourage you. And then flip that around. If you're not around others, how can God use you to encourage them? God wants to encourage you through others. And God wants to use you to encourage others. And that's exactly what Paul said here. God encouraged us, yes. But he encouraged us through the arrival of Titus. And then he says in verse 7, We were encouraged not only by his arrival, but also by the encouragement or refreshment that you gave him. Paul was so encouraged by the way that Titus was treated when he came to Corinth. As he reported to us, and I'm sure this just broke Paul. You can just hear Paul probably weeping when Titus told him this. That the Corinthians longed for Paul. That they mourned over their relationship with Paul. That they still had deep concern for Paul. So that Paul says in verse 7, I rejoice more than ever. Because we get that. We've been in relationships where we poured so much into and gotten very little out. And finally, Paul is saying, finally, I feel like I'm getting something back from this relationship. That maybe they are starting to care as much about me as I care for them. And part of the relationship thing is that it's mutual, that it's reciprocal, that it's not one-sided. That's not a healthy relationship when it's all one-sided. God wants us to be in a healthy relationship with our brothers and sisters where we're encouraging one another and where we're mutually building in and sharpening each other. 
Too many Christians take on the responsibility of always trying to fix or lift up all these, you know, people that, that, and they never have equally amount of people over here who are somehow building into their life. And folks, that's not a healthy place to be for any Christian. I don't care how strong you think you are. And so I'm sure Paul was just so moved by the news that Titus gave him. And then Paul tells really where this started to go south. He says in verse 8, For even if I made you sad, every time Paul uses the word sad here in chapter 7, think of the word uneasy. It's a good equivalent in the English language. Sad doesn't really capture it. Paul says in verse 8, For even if I made you uneasy by my letter, I do not regret having written it. Now, some people think that the letter he's talking about is 1 Corinthians. I don't think it was 1 Corinthians. I think there was a letter that Paul wrote between 1 and 2 Corinthians that obviously is not in the Bible and is lost. But I think Paul wrote a pretty severe letter to the Corinthians about their behavior. And again, here's a model friendship. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And because Paul was a biblical, Christ-like friend, he told the Corinthians what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. And it made them uneasy. And Paul says, I don't regret it. By the way, the word regret here in the Greek means if I had it to do over again, I'd change it. Paul's basically saying, no, I wouldn't change a thing. Even though it certainly put us on a rocky road for a while. Even though you started to distance yourself and back up from me. But then Paul does say this. He says, even though I did regret it. In other words, he admits because it put the relationship on such a tenuous ground, it was like, obviously he had some regret. For he says, I see that my letter made you uneasy or sad though only for a short time. Verse 9. Now I rejoice, not because you were made sad or uneasy, but because you were made uneasy to the point of repentance. And we know what that word means. It means a willingness to change. And Paul's basically saying that's what it was all about. That in order for this relationship to go Further, somebody had to be willing to move. Somebody had to be willing to change. We all know that with relationships. There comes a point in some relationships where it's at an impasse. And the only thing that's going to move that relationship forward, any at all, is somebody's got to be willing to move and change. If both lock themselves down and say, I will not change, then obviously nothing's ever going to change in that relationship. And nothing's ever going to be able to be worked out. And Paul is rejoicing at the fact that even though he wrote this letter that made them uneasy, God used it to bring about repentance in the Corinthians that then allowed this relationship actually to go to a level and a place that was even better than it ever was before. Because through this, obviously, the Corinthians started to grow up a little bit. In fact, he says, for you were made uneasy as God intended. Whoa. 
Christians don't even want to be made uneasy anymore. That's why the preaching of the Bible in a lot of churches has went the way of the dinosaur. Because people don't want to be convicted. They don't want to really hear the truth that can set them free. They want to be entertained. They want to be told they're okay. They don't want to be uneasy. Folks, I hate to tell you, but if we're going to walk with Jesus Christ and become more like Jesus Christ, there's going to be times where the Holy Spirit has to use the Word of God to make us uneasy so that we'll change. So that we'll be willing to change. And that only comes through the conviction of the Spirit and the Word of God. So Paul goes on to say, so that you were not harmed or injured in any way by us. For sadness, for uneasiness as intended by God produces a repentance that leads to salvation. And Paul here, obviously, because these folks were already saved as we know it, isn't using salvation in the term of coming to Christ. He's simply again saying salvation is also being delivered and rescued from this bad place that I'm in. Even as a Christian, I'm always going through the sanctification process of becoming more like Jesus. And over and over again, being delivered from myself, from the world, from the flesh, from the devil, whatever. And so Paul says, this brought this about. Leaving no regret. Notice that. Verse 10. But worldly sadness brings about death. Paul's, in other words, differentiating the uneasiness, the sorrow that really brings change, that brings life, that brings us closer to God, that brings blessing, and the sorrow of the world that doesn't produce anything but ruin and misery. And Paul's basically saying this, and we've all seen this and experienced it in our own life. We can be sorry that we got caught, but not truly sorry. Or we can truly be broken over what we've done to the point where we go, Not only am I acknowledging that that was wrong, but I'm going to begin to take steps to make sure that that never happens again. And if I've harmed or hurt anybody, I'm also going to make restitution for it. That's repentance that leads to life. That's real sorrow. See, when when someone says, I'm sorry, but they never change, that's not sorrow from a biblical godly perspective. That's just being sorry that someone caught you in something and that you got found out. True, biblical, Christ-like sorrow that God wants to produce in the lives of His children is sorrow that brings change in our lives. And Paul said, that's exactly what this letter that I wrote did in your lives. Notice what he says In verse 11, for see what this very thing, this uneasiness as God intended has produced in you. What eagerness. The word means a diligence to pursue the right course now rather than continuing to stay on the course that they were on. What defense of yourselves. He's he's not saying that that somehow they were uh, defending themselves as far as what they had done and not being willing to admit. It's the Greek word apologia, where we get our word apology from. And it was simply what Paul's saying there, rather than defending themselves, he's saying you took time to calculate and consider exactly what your actions has done. 
which many people never do. They never stop to think of the people that they've hurt, how their words have harmed, the the actions that they've taken. They never take stock to calculate and consider what they're doing and how it affects others. But Paul said, the repentance that God brings, that's exactly what it did in you. Then he goes on to say, what indignation. In other words, you had displeasure and grief over what you did. What alarm, what dread, what longing, what desire to do now the right thing and to make amends. What deep concern, what fervor, zeal it brought about in you and what punishment. In other words, what willingness to take whatever the consequences should be. And notice what Paul says after that. In everything you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter, simply meaning... Not that they hadn't done anything wrong or else there wouldn't be any reason to change. Paul's simply saying that by truly changing as God would want you to change, you have proven your respect and reverence for God in this matter. That's what you proved. How much you responded to God in a proper way. So then, verse 12, even though I wrote to you, It was not on account of the one who did wrong or on account of the one who was wrong, but to reveal to you your eagerness on our behalf before God. Therefore, Paul says, verse 13, we have been encouraged. We have been comforted and strengthened because we saw how you responded in a good way and how you were willing to change and be moved So that, first of all, most importantly, the Corinthians' relationship with God could be restored and brought back into fellowship. Because it was never going to be right as long as the Corinthians' relationship with Paul wasn't what it should be. Then secondarily, Paul is simply saying in this passage, then my second concern was I'm so glad that because you were willing to respond to God in a proper way, that that's put us back together again. And that's what this chapter is all about, folks. It's about reminding us as Christians that in no way, from God's perspective, does God ever say it's okay for Christians to get upset with each other and walk away from their relationships. You never see in the Bible where that's okay, where God gives that a stamp of approval. God does just the opposite just like he did through Paul here. He says, here's the attitude that Christians should have towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. That no matter how rocky it gets, and we saw, Paul and the Corinthians, it was, it was bad. They didn't like each other very much, or at least especially from the Corinthians toward Paul. But they worked it out. They gave God time to work it out and work through it. And like Paul says, our attitude towards each other should be we die together and we live together. We are intimately and unbreakably united to each other. One in Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on to say, verse 13, Therefore we've been encouraged, and in addition to our own encouragement, we rejoiced even more at the joy of Titus because all of you refreshed his spirit. I love that word refreshed 
Believe it or not, that was one of the key words that brought me to the point where I really felt led of God to name this church the Oasis. Because I wanted our church to reflect an environment where people could come and no matter what they were going through or what they were dealing with, they could be refreshed. They could find an oasis in the middle of the desert and be refreshed. God wants us to refresh each other. By the way, the word refresh in the Greek language literally means to allow one to recover and collect strength. To allow one to recover and collect strength. So obviously the implication is there's going to be times in our life where we're just running, 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 and and we need somebody to step in and say, hey, I know you've been dealing with this for a while. I know I can't necessarily change your circumstance or can't completely pull you out of that, but let me at least somehow lighten the load to maybe allow you a little bit of recovery time. A little bit of time for you to be able to collect some strength to keep on going. That's what the word refreshment means. And all of us need to be refreshed. We all need refreshment. And we all need to be willing to be refreshers in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. For Paul says in verse 14, if I have boasted to him about anything concerning you, I've not been embarrassed by you. Even when they were on rocky ground, notice what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I said good things about you, even when you weren't saying good things about me. And now I know by the way you treated Titus, I'll never have to blush in shame. That's what the word embarrassed means. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting to Titus about you has proved or appeared true as well. And now his affection, his passion, literally in the Greek, I've shared this with, it literally means bowels and intestines. Titus's bowels and intestines for you is much greater when he remembers the obedience of you all. Let's stop there. In other words, Titus, Titus became even more connected, if you will, to the Corinthians when he saw how they were willing to change and follow the Lord. And, and let's face it, folks, for any of us, it's hard to admit when we're wrong. It would have been hard for the Corinthians to go, you know, we should have never pulled away from Paul. We should have never listened to those false teachers. We were wrong. Paul, I'm sorry. It's hard to say you're sorry. Because human pride is a big thing. And human pride even keeps Christians from the relationships that they should have and being able to work through things because even Christians with the Spirit of God in them, have a very hard time telling other Christians, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Let me ask you, when was the last time a Christian told you that they were sorry about something that they did to you? And let's turn that around. When was the last time we said we were sorry to somebody for something we did? And so, 
Titus was very much encouraged by the obedience. By the way, the word obedience here means compliance and submission to God. Because that's really what obedience is. I can't obey unless I'm willing to submit myself to God and do it His way rather than my way. And then Paul leaves this chapter by also mentioning how you welcomed him, how you embraced Titus when he came here. Because I'm sure Titus, I don't know if too many people would have wanted that assignment. Hey, Paul and the Corinthians are on the outs. So who are we going to send to find out exactly how they feel about Paul? I'm sure there weren't a lot of Christians who go, ooh, ooh, I'll go. They might punch you in the mouth when you bring up Paul, you know. They, they didn't know what kind of reception they were going to get. So again, Paul is saying, thank you for embracing him when he came. And not only that, you welcomed him with fear and trembling. The words mean you welcomed him, you embraced him with, first of all, the utmost respect and a teachable spirit is what the word trembling means here. In other words, not a I know it all attitude and nobody can tell me anything. When Titus came, they were willing to sit down and listen to Titus about some things too that they probably needed to change in as well. And so Paul ends this great chapter by saying, I rejoice because in everything I am fully confident in you. Wow. What a chapter. What an event. What a lesson for us as Christians. That in a day and age where it's so prevalent and so easy for Christians to walk away from their relationship with each other and not stay and work things out as hard or difficult or as time consuming or as as much endurance as perseverance is needed. And then can I say this? No wonder then even amongst Christians we have the rising divorce rate that we do. Because if Christians are willing not to really work things out with each other and and their relationships with each other are disposable and they treat each other that way, then no wonder marriages don't last either. Because that same seed creeps into all of our relationships and we just think it's okay to just walk away from relationships. God never said it was okay. And we can even convince ourselves that what I'm doing is okay. But I will remind you from the authority of God's Word, you will never get God's stamp of approval on that behavior. Because God teaches His people. We need to be the people that work things out. Jesus said, you know how people in the world are going to see the difference by this kind of love that I have for you, that you should have for each other, that's how all men will know that you're my disciples. That's how that you'll stick out. That's how you'll be distinctive. That's how they'll see the difference in you. By how you love each other. And if there's no real love for each other in the church, why do we think that the world is going to somehow be attracted to what we have? It starts with us. That's why Peter says, if judgment's going to begin, it's got to begin at the house of God. 
And we need to adopt the attitude that Paul teaches us here. That we are in relationships with each other for the long haul. We are here to die together and to live together. To live in an intimate, unbreakable union with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Just like Paul's letter, it makes us uneasy at times. Yeah, Lord, there's many times as a Christian where we get great comfort and great encouragement when we read Your Word and especially the promises. We think about our future and what awaits us and glory and all of that. It, that's great. That's good stuff. But Lord, sometimes, sometimes we need to change. Sometimes, Lord, we stand in need of making a course correction. And the only thing that's going to do that, Lord, is when we're made uneasy by the conviction of Your Holy Spirit through Your Word. A sorrow, as Paul talks about here tonight, that leads to true biblical repentance. Not saying I'm sorry and never changing. Not I'm sorry I got caught or I got found out. But a sorrow that leads to repentance that leads to life. That leads back to You. And sometimes, Lord, that means we need to be made uneasy. We know that as parents. Any of us, Lord, who've ever been parents know that there are times where our children had to be made uneasy in order to correct some behavior. And Lord, we have to be made uneasy at times in order to bring the corrections that's needed in our life to make us more like Jesus. To keep us on the path that You want us to go. And God, instead of fighting it, we should be thankful for it. That You're a God that never gives up on us. You never leave us or forsake us. And no matter how bad we get, no matter how frustrating we may be to anyone else, You never give up on us. You never turn your back on us. You never walk away from this relationship. But you will continue to be there and work in our lives to a point where somewhere along the line, hopefully, we begin to experience so much pain from the choices that we've made and where we realize that the Holy Spirit in your Word has made it very clear that we made a wrong turn or a wrong choice that we have the guts and the, the biblical spiritual courage to say, I was wrong. I made a mistake. A course correction is needed. God, thank You for that. That's true love. That's true friendship. And Lord, so many relationships today live in such a warped, environment that most even human beings, whether they're Christians or not anymore, don't even really know what a real friendship and relationship should be. Because sad to say, maybe they've never even had one modeled for them. 
They don't even know what a healthy friendship and relationship should be. But God, if we just keep walking with you, you provide the greatest example of what a great friend and someone who loves someone else is all about. It's you and how you treat us and how your word teaches us that even if we never had another human being model for us what real love and real friendship and a real relationship is all about and how it should be navigated, your word teaches us, God. And your Holy Spirit can guide us when we've had no other guidance. And so, God, I just pray tonight for all of us. For all of us, Lord, desperately need that from you. Help us to do relationships right from here on out. Help us to respond to you properly. And help us to respond to each other properly. Help us not to look at each other as enemies who are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not each other's enemies. We're part of your body. We are all in Christ. And we will all be with each other throughout eternity. And if we're going to get along with each other throughout eternity, we need to start learning how to get along with each other down here. So help us to do that, God. So that people will see the difference that you make in our lives and how we can navigate even the toughest times when we don't maybe even like each other very much. But where we're willing to stick it out and work through everything and stick by each other. And may they see Jesus in that. And may they want those kind of relationships rather than this disposable kind that is happening all over the world today. God, thank you for never throwing us out. Thank you for never disposing of us, no matter how bad we get. But always being there for us. Help us to begin to be that for one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.